Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage, Scott Love, president of the Attorney Search Group. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm great, Alej. Great to see you again. Good to see you as well. Uh, it was a pleasure being on your podcast the other day. And a uh, question for you. What does a surface warfare officer from the Navy know about recruiting attorneys? Yeah, it's well, you know, when you're uh, when you're an officer in the Navy, you have to deal with all different types of people. And even though you have the authority, you have to earn trust and you have to earn that respect. And I think lawyers, it's the same way. Lawyers are guarded. They're untrusting. They've got a fear of change, and I've learned over the years how to earn that trust, and I and I don't take it for granted. I'm very grateful each time I earn that trust, but it's all about dealing with people, Alay. Well, thank you very much for your service. That's a that's a that's also a fantastic answer, and we're going to be talking about rainmakers today, and specifically recruiting rainmakers. Is that even possible? Oh, it is. I do it for a living, and I have a lot of competitors who are my closest friends. They do it as well. And it's a special thing when you find a rainmaker that's decided that his or her practice would be better suited and better situated in a different platform. And that's uh, that's what we, what I do, move them from one firm to another firm. So I'd love to take maybe uh, uh, two different perspectives on this. And let's start with the perspective of the rainmaker. I'd love to hear about you know what what's going through their mind when they decide that and they're open to other possibilities. Yeah, I would say there's one or two reasons, one of two reasons. Uh, sometimes it's both reasons, but it's either because of leadership issues, LA, or strategy issues. Leadership issues. I've heard things like, I don't trust my chairman, or there's been a change and I don't trust the new leadership coming in. I don't trust my colleagues. They've seen that their colleagues just can't be trusted because they take their clients from them. I've heard that story before also. So on the leadership side, those are the things that I think are fairly common. And what's interesting is when I hear the exact same story from different partners and different practice groups in different offices, but I know that there's something really going on. And sure enough, you can read about it in the headlines. And so it's almost like that's a leading indicator of future problems if a firm doesn't really make some sort of a change. But then also on the strategy side, sometimes a firm, they might make, uh, they might have a, a merger or some of their clients might go through a merger so it conflicts the partner out from being able to get clients and grow his or her practice. So I think those are probably the two biggest reasons. And when somebody's ready to go, I've got some people where they say, I want to move and I've made a clear goal to move by a certain date. And I wanna have a handful of a series of meetings with a certain number of firms. Other people, they just wanna to talk to one firm. Because, and that there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes when you fall in love, LA, you stop dating. You don't need to see <laughs> other people. And I've, I've made a lot of placements like that where they just talk to one firm and that's it. They're ready to go. And that's, and that's how we do it. Got it. Got it. So what I'm hearing from you is there's issues uh, around the, it's, it's management, leadership, and strategy. And oftentimes that will rear its head when there's a management change, um, maybe a new managing partner or a new managing group or there's some sort of a merger or big change within the firm structure itself. Yeah, absolutely right. Got it. Very cool. That's that's really helpful to know. And 
let's take a look on the other side now on the on the firm's side who's going to be working with you to bring in a rainmaker mm-hmm. in today's day and age so many firms are i mean <laughs> they're really really looking to hire horsepower they're looking to hire associates not so much rainmakers so love to hear what what some of the firms you're working with are seeing on that side that will cause them to say yeah you know we really need a rainmaker in here absolutely right and i think some firms, they might say, well, we're looking to grow revenue, but I think the proper perspective is that looking at lateral partner recruiting as a form of client development. And this is what's interesting from all the people that I've met in the legal marketing in area, people that work on the marketing side with firms since I started this podcast, getting to know people where they're in charge of business development for firms. Sometimes they don't really think of it like that. And I remember the first time I met with the law firm leader and I told him, I said that lateral partner recruiting, it's the most effective form of client development. And he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, what you're doing when you're bringing a partner over, you're not just bringing that partner over in the revenue, but you're bringing trust. You're bringing trust that that partner that he or she has earned over the past 20 plus years with a handful of C-suite executives. And that trust starts on day one. So that's what you're really getting because you know, as a BD coach, you know that trust is number one. You have to have that with every new client that a firm or an attorney onboards as a client. You got to have that trust. And that's the exact same reason why I think it is effective. So answering your question, I think firms, well, they're not necessarily looking to grow revenue. They're not necessarily looking to grow headcount. They are, but it's looking to grow the client base. And when you bring a partner over that has a dozen C-suite executives, that's a gre- that's the best way to have the right kind of perspective. And so, and what's interesting, sometimes when a partner, when I bring multiple options to a partner, and I remember this this time happened, uh, this one when, one time happened, the partner looked at seven different firms, and the two that he was interested in were two that I brought him, and he asked me which one do you think I should join. And I said, I'm never going to answer that question because I don't want to be blamed <laughs> if it doesn't work out. Right. And I said, which firm would be best for your clients? And instantly he said, this firm, and he joined him and he's done very well. And so when a partner goes to another firm, it's not just about the platform and how it's going to help that partner, but how is that firm going to help that partner's clients? And I think that's the proper perspective that firms have to have in terms of how they grow and why they should grow through lateral recruiting. That is a really cool perspective. It's not just about the attorney and what's in it for them or the firm or what's in it for them. It's about the clients and what kind of a fit mm-hmm. those clients will have with the firm and with the attorney. That's fantastic. Thank you. And, and that's that's absolutely the correct thought model that one should have is that that's the default. At the end of the day, if I don't know which one is the best, which one is going to be the best for my client? And so the firms that really understand that and they have a good narrative, and we can talk about this here in a little bit too, Those that have a good narrative of distinction, how it's going to help that new partner, but also how it's going to help that partner's clients. Those are the ones that get an edge. And and an edge in any race, as you know, is all you need. Just a small, just small winning edge. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. This is really, really cool. And so when these firms are looking to bring on these Rainmaker attorneys, what size of firm is typically in the market to make this kind of a move? Because it is a big move. What size of firm? All sizes. It depends. And I've got some clients that their philosophy is a big firm attracts big corporations. And that's true. And then there are others that are a little bit more of a boutique feel. 
where they are known for one thing. And either of those can and does work very well, where they're known just in this one area, and that can attract them. So I think any firm can grow. I personally don't work below the MLAW 200, and I don't mean below that, but in terms of headcount, just because of the nature of my business, many times I'm presenting a partner to several firms that are similar in size, footprint, and scope. And with the smaller firms, every small firm, as you know, is a little bit different, has a little bit of a different approach. So that's why I really don't work that market. But I've seen every firm that wants to grow will have a story. I've got some firms, the smallest I usually might work with is maybe about 120, 130 attorneys, and they can have a good story. They can have a good story that rivals a 2,000 attorney firm if they really understand how to drill down on what is unique and distinct about them and why their platform would be good for a prospective attorney. Yeah, it makes sense. A smaller firm like that, they probably bring a lot of focus to the table. They have a probably a pretty strong culture, maybe a strong connection to the community, and that could be really persuasive uh, for the right attorney. That's right. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, you are the host of the Rainmaking Podcast. So I would love to hear from you. What inspired you to start that podcast? Yeah, so I had a training company years ago, and I started my, it was a sales training company for people in the recruiting industry. I've been in recruiting since 1995, faxing resumes to clients where there is no <laughs> no email, no there is no internet. Uh, yes, I am that old. And I, and I did really well, and I started a training company, and a lot of my clients, my training clients were legal recruiting firms, and that's when I got into the business. And so I think that the whole legal recruiting business, it's really interesting. Every day is different. And I've seen a lot of different changes. And I absolutely love it. I think that uh, the whole scope is creating that mutual satisfaction and needs between two different people, between the partner that wants to join the firm and the firm. It's really interesting. It's just really in an interest, really interesting business. There's nothing else out there like that. And you're seeing, you're right at the tip of the spear because you work with AmLaw 200 firms. What are some of the trends you're seeing in terms of how they're looking to cultivate talent uh, and attract new talent and also sustain their clients? I think that they've gotten a lot smarter in terms of how they bring people on board. I think they've kind of tightened up their the criteria and they have a much more calibrated look at people. It used to be Back when I first started legal recruiting, it was, yes, we love your partner with the $3 million book. By the way, what does she do again? And they would look at just the book. So I think the big change is that they've gotten a little bit, well, a lot smarter about that. And I think once you make mistakes, obviously, that's when you learn and you have to make changes and all that. I think they've also not gotten rid of opportunistic possibilities, but they've gotten good at how can they identify what I call connection points. Uh, here comes someone that has a book where there's a, a shared client. That's a connection point. And not just a shared client as an organization, but they're dealing with the exact same person that's in-house. That's another connection point. So the more connection points that you have, then you can sync a partner deeply and more effectively in that firm. They can just really seat themselves into that firm. And uh, integration, I think, is key to lateral partner recruiting. When a firm makes sure that they have an effective process of integrating people, they've got some sort of a checklist, they've got some sort of protocols, they've got somebody that is exactly responsible for it. And, I, and some firms, 
uh, I've done some advisory for firms on this where we talk about, okay, who's the quarterback? Who's the sponsor? Who's the mentor? And let's get up a timeline. Other clients of mine, they actually have key performance indicators that they measure along the way so that they don't have to wait a year later and realize, gee, how come this person isn't doing well? And then some firms, they blame it. Well, the partner overestimated his book of business. Well, no, you didn't have an effective integration protocol. And you didn't measure those variables along the way as the person was being integrated into your firm. And so that's the big change I've seen in, in LA. I'm very impressed with what some of the firms have done, where I hear them tell me about their protocols, and it's just truly impressive. And those are the ones that I want to work for, because I've seen some partners, when I have that as a talking point or a point of distinction about a firm, then that partner feels safe about that firm. Because as you know, they want to feel safe when they move to another firm. They want to know with certainty that the likelihood is exceptionally high that it's going to work out. So the more that a firm can do that can show those perfective laterals that we are a safe bet, we're not going to let you down. You can definitely count on us. And by the way, talk to these seven people that joined us within the last two years and listen to their story. Like I said, it's super interesting. I learn something every single day. And it's just a joy to work with smart people like this and get to meet with the firm leadership and peek behind the curtain and see how they how they do what they're supposed to do. I'm curious to hear about this because you've been in this industry for a long time and you've seen a lot of a lot of changes, a lot of ebbs and flows. And uh, one of the questions I have for you, Scott, is about leverage and what you've seen over time. Leverage in terms of you know the employer, the law firm having the leverage versus more the rainmaker having the leverage and sort of being courted by firms. Um, what have you seen over time and where do you think we're headed? Well, you know how it is. Whoever needs it the least usually wins, right? And so I think the best way, in, and I think some firms do have leverage. I've done a lot of different deals where a partner's got a book and multiple offers, but I've seen partners that don't take the highest offer because they see the firm has the best overall opportunity. And I think that's the mature perspective, the long game, those that have the long game perspective. Some firms will throw a lot of money at people and you have to be competitive. You can't expect people to take a cut and join an opportunity. So I think it, each situation is different. And I think the ideal situations are when a firm and a candidate agree that this is a really good fit. I've looked at other options, I've got higher offers, but I want to tell you, this is something I'm truly excited about. And I think that's the ideal situation when a firm and a partner agree, let's continue to talk as long as it takes until we find the number that works for both of us. That's the ideal situation where it's not necessarily one having leverage over the other, but the firm and the partner almost uh, kind of partnering on the conversation. Let's make sure that we can make this uh, make this fit. Uh, but like I said, each situation is different. And so I think that when a partner joins a firm, they have to have and they should have a long-term perspective and, and not necessarily be in it for the highest amount of money in the short term. Uh, and when people tell me that they're in it just for the money, I, that's usually a problem because uh, any firm can pay more than any other and they're going to leave in a couple of years. They really need to look at this with at least a five-year to 10-year perspective. Uh, finding a firm where all the variables align and when you're with the right firm over time, the compensation will take care of itself. Like. Yeah, at that level, they're already you know doing quite well financially. So there's always, you know, they can always do better, certainly. But 
there's other things that factor in and, and could be, you know, more important, like, you know, where they're based and quality of life they can have, the kinds of clients they can work with, how they can grow their practice area, how they can grow their book. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Very cool. I've heard some things from HR consultants talking about trends in the industry, and you're, again, at the tip of the spear on this, so I'd love to get your perspective. I'm hearing a lot of things about different aspects of law firm culture having a really important impact on recruiting. And I think a lot of this might be focused more on associates, but I'm curious to hear if this is a rainmaker, a factor for rainmakers as well. One is culture and not being that toxic law firm. That's one I've heard. The other one is uh, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion and belonging, those initiatives that are being there. And the third thing I've heard is the willingness of the firm to invest in the person in terms of their ongoing growth and development. How important have you seen those? I think all of those are very important. And I don't know if you could prioritize one over the other. I think that they all have equal merit and equal weight. I've seen firms that lose a group and they're glad the group is gone because they just were toxic. They were sharp elbows. I had a partner tell me that I just, uh, and I appreciated his vulnerability. He said, when I'm around negative people that are disrespectful to others, it really weighs heavily on me and I just can't do this anymore. And so I think someone, if they're going to move, they need to be honest with themselves. I think everybody has tolerance. I mean, I was in the Navy. I'm used to working with people <laughs> with with, uh, <laughs> with bad people's skills. I, I've got a high degree of tolerance for pain and discomfort. So I'm, I'm okay with that. I can be in that environment. Other people can't. And so I think you need to know what is it that you're comfortable with? What can you tolerate? And what do you want? And not settle because there's lots of options out there. I think with the DEI initiatives, I think that's admirable that firms have made that a priority. And I like the fact that this is something that you can measure. And I, that's almost becoming table stakes. Like it's assumed that everybody has that and you have to have that. But if I were someone moving to a firm, I would want to talk with their chief diversity officer. Who does that person report to? Tell me, what do you do on a granular level to make sure that those people that might not have ever had exposure to prospective clients, people at that level, what do you do to get them comfortable with that? Those would be things that I would look for. And then also when you talk about the other variables related to culture, this is something that I've told firms and I've coached firms. I say, you need to stop using adjectives to describe your culture and instead tell a story. Tell a story so that people understand that. And uh, I, I, for example, I had one firm, I asked her, I said, describe your firm's culture. And she said, well, we're a family-friendly culture. And I said, what do you mean with that? What would I see with my own eyes to where I would come to that conclusion? And she said, well, uh, every Friday afternoon, you'll hear babies and small children in our hallways because the partners pick their kids up at school and then all bring them back and they finish out the week that way. And I thought, that's an interesting story. So I think the goal of a firm is to get real clarity on what their culture is and find ways to describe it so that it's kinesthetic, so that people will understand tangibly, I understand what that culture is. So that's what I'd recommend to firms that might be listening to this also like. Love that, Scott. Thank you for that perspective. It's great to hear that that is so important, even at the AMLA 200 firm level. It's not just small firms that are getting into this. And I love the idea of telling a story, not just using adjectives to describe your culture or really to describe anything because stories are so much more powerful. Absolutely right. Speaking of stories, Scott, what are you looking forward to uh, with the attorney search group over the next year or so? I love doing the work. I love 
the possibility of maybe growing. I've got two people, one that uh, helps me with teeing up candidates on my calendar, another one that manages the Rainmaking podcast. And uh, I love the idea of continuing on with that because uh, that show, it's given me, I think, as a headhunter and edge in terms of keeping connected with people because a partner doesn't care about talking to a recruiter until he or she wants to move. And so every anytime I talk to someone that doesn't want to move, I say, I want to give you something. I want to give you my link to my show. So I'm able to keep in touch with people without being spammy and annoying. I'm, I'm annoying enough as it is, Elaine. So at least <laughs> I'm able to keep connected with them by giving them something of value, which is conversations with experts like you, a credentialed expert in business development. Who doesn't want that? So I'm excited about continuing on with that. I've spoken more to legal groups. I've done several presentations for the National Association of Law Placement. I got reelected as board emeritus member for the National Association of Legal Search Consultants. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'll be continuing on in my involvement. That's my seventh year on the board. I like doing things like that because they're strategic. The podcast has let me meet people like you and other people. And I didn't even know I was doing this, but I created a referral pipeline by getting to meet so many people in the industry and getting them on my show. show, I'm able to get people that they've referred to me, partners and groups, when they're ready to move. I get a lot of referrals that way. But I think the bottom line, LA, I, I love the work. I love my clients. I'm high maintenance, but I'm also high touch. I meet with everybody. Lunches, dinners, happy hours. I love meeting with clients. I love meeting with candidates, just hearing their story and really figuring out what's important to them. Because my whole business philosophy, it's not the Scott Show, LA. It's not, it's not me. It's me, like I said, creating that mutual satisfaction and needs between that partner and that firm. Uh, But then one other thing I'm excited about is doing more small firm to big firm acquisitions. I did one with Fragman earlier this year, which is pretty exciting, and working with other firms that want to grow strategically in certain key markets and certain practice sectors and helping them achieve their expansion goals uh, by bringing smaller firms into the fold. Awesome. And so, Scott, if rainmakers or firms want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to connect? I'd say go to my website, read my bio first, and all of my contact information is on there. It's attorneysearchgroup.com. And if you want to check out the show, just go to just Google or go to Apple Podcast and type in the Rainmaking Podcast and you'll find it that way. Yeah. And by the way, attorney entrepreneurs, if you are a rainmaker or if you want to be a rainmaker, check out the Rainmaking Podcast. You will learn stuff with every episode you listen to. It's it's really a nice show. And it's not just attorneys, although a lot of attorneys on there. Yeah. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. Love the insights, love the conversation and congratulations on all your success. Thank you, Alay. Thank you for having me here. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build 
your perfect practice.